anchor. I hope you listened carefully to that. I hope you read those words carefully as we, as we heard that play just now because next Sunday we're going to be singing that. So now you've got it. We'll have a link in the grace notes this week also to a place where you can go and sing along with it and get ready. It's a beautiful song, deep, rich meaning in that song. And so I want us to be able to share that together in our time of worship. Uh, Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 116. And as you're turning there, uh, I want to tell you two things. One, uh, last week, if you recall, when uh, the uh, boys' vocal band was here, uh, and, and when I was preaching and commented on their Be Still My Soul, I talked about how it ministered to me, and I had a heavy burden. And many of you emailed me and texted me and called me and, and just let me know of your prayers and said that you were concerned that I was hurting in that way, and uh, I want you to know God resolved that on Monday, so your prayers were answered, and I appreciate you doing that. That was, that I, I, the burden has been lifted, and uh, I rejoice in that and thank God for it. But as you're getting to Psalm 116, I'm going to have uh, Brother John put the uh, graphic back up there about question 25 from the New City Catechism that we're we're encouraging you to work through and, and look through and, and the questions and the answers. And the question this week is, is this whole uh, timing is just perfect because we're coming to the Lord's table and we're going to talk about what God has done in the table. We're going to talk about a psalm for the Lord's table or a psalm for the Lord's supper. And the question is, does, does Christ's death mean all our sins can be forgiven? And the answer is this. Read it with me. Yes, because Christ's death on the cross fully paid the penalty for our sin. God graciously imputes Christ's righteousness to us as if it were our own and will remember our sins no more. I think of Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a glorious truth. Uh, I think of what this supper, this meal, this Lord's Supper that we're about to observe together, I think about what that means, that the meaning of that is a picture of what that question and answer gives us, that in this meal, representing his death, representing his body and his blood, that is poured out on behalf of all who believe, for all of his people, that that shows us that forgiveness of sin is a reality. And Psalm 116 does the same thing. As a matter of fact, I I think this is a great psalm for the Lord's Supper. Now, I will tell you this. If you go to commentaries on, on Psalm 116, you will not find a single Old Testament commentary or commentary on the Psalms that will say, this is a psalm for the Lord's Supper. They'll never tell you that this is, they won't tell you that this, is, this just talks about the Lord's Supper all the way through it. Because when this psalm was written, there was no Lord's Supper because there had been no Last Supper and, and everything. But it's pointing to the reality of what takes place in that, in that sacrifice of Christ. It points to the reality of Him coming. And I can tell you this. There is a very good chance, I can't give this to you on absolute, but there's a very good chance that on our Lord's last night with his disciples, 
when he sat around the table with them and he broke that bread and passed that cup, there is a very good chance that they either sang or recited or read Psalm 116. You say, how can you say that? How can you say there's a good chance he did that? It's because it is what is known as a, a Hallel Psalm. Some call it an Egyptian Hallel Psalm. And Hallel is just the, the, uh, the Greek word and the Hebrew word transposed to, to be praise psalm. But the Hallel Psalms, which are Psalms 113, really through, through uh, 118, are psalms that were regularly used at the Passover. When the Jews would gather together for the celebration of the Passover, these are the psalms that they would concentrate on. Psalm 115 that we looked at a little bit in the responsive reading, the call to worship, that is a Hallel psalm where they would have used that also because they're, and they're called Egyptian Hallel psalms because they're going back to the time of the Passover and the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt and from slavery and from the bondage that they were under because of the Egyptians. And how God graciously led them out and set them free and gave them the promised land that he had promised to them. So, so all of that points to what takes place in the Lord's Supper. Hear the word of the Lord as I read this entire psalm. The psalmist says, I love the Lord. Because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Thus the title of the sermon, if you looked at it this morning, Love and Gratitude for All My Days. I will, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pains of Sheol the realm of the dead, laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple or simple-minded. When he when I was brought low, he saved me. Return my soul to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Again, like be still my soul, the psalmist here is speaking to his own soul. He's speaking to his own, own self. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O oh Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. 
and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Simple ending to this Hallel Psalm. A simple ending after talking about two things, basically. And this whole psalm really could be summed up in two statements. Verses 1 through 11 express what God has done for him or for us. Verses 1 through 11 talk about the work of God, and they point to the work of Christ. And then verses 12 through 19 talk about the response to what God has done. It's always predicated. We've seen this in, in, in Romans. It's always built on what God has done. It's never we do so God will do. We, we always respond to his grace. We always respond to his work. We're always trusting in what he says that he has accomplished, what his word says he has done what his word says he, he, he did on our behalf and in, for our behalf on the cross. I mean, it's always pointing back to what Christ has done, what God has done in our lives. And so in verses 1 through 11, the psalmist makes that very clear. He said, you know, I love the Lord because he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. And then he goes into this this litany here of where he was i was uh, death encompassed me sheol laid hold of me i suffered distress and i suffered anguish i was hurting doesn't matter if it's physical hurt or emotional hurt or mental hurt doesn't really matter the psalmist says i was in distress i was hurting i was i was suffering greatly and, and, and maybe he was suffering greatly through no fault of his own, at least as far as he saw it. Maybe he was suffering greatly because he, he had been harmed by someone else. Perhaps someone else, even in the covenant community, had hurt him. And, and, and yet, he said, I, I cried out to God. When I recognized all this, when I suffered distress and anguish, I called on the name of the Lord. And I simply said, he quotes himself, Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Be still, my soul. Be still, my soul, and know that he is God. Be silent before him. Bow in his presence, the psalmist tells us in other places. Let, let, let it be known that our acknowledgement is not in our own ability. Our acknowledgement is not in what we can do, but our acknowledgement is, is in him. Our, our, our acknowledgement is that he is the one who moves. He is the one who works. He is the one who saves. He is the one who delivers. And on and on and on you can go. Psalmist says, Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul because you are gracious and you are righteous and you are merciful. You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of of a living.
is he saying there? He's saying, in times of trouble, you have been there. You've been there to save me from my sin. You've been there to deliver me when I needed to be delivered. I like how he says it in verses 10 and 11. He says, I believed even when I spoke. Now, don't miss this. Several translations will have that other other ways. Some will say, I believed because of that I spoke. Or, I believed, therefore, when I spoke. But but the idea is, here, I, I was believing even when I said things like, I am greatly afflicted. When I cried out and said, life is not fair. Life is, life is giving me struggles and problems and, and people around me are, are hurting me. And, and I, I am afflicted, Lord. But even in the midst of crying out in that affliction, I believed. What, what did I believe? Well, I, I believe that you are righteous. And I believe that you are glorious and gracious and merciful. You see, we sometimes have this idea that if we're going through a tough time, if we vocalize that, if we say that, then then we're not really trusting God. The psalmist says, listen, I believed all these things about you, Lord. I really believed all these things about you, and I still believe all these things about you. I still know that these are truths about you, but I I still voice that I'm hurting and I need relief. I I need some relief. (laughs) You ever been there? Certainly you have. Here's here's what God's done. God has brought forgiveness of sin. God has delivered me. He's inclined his ear to me. He's heard me. And and because I know that he's heard me, I will call out to him all the days of my life, as long as I shall live. Greatest evidence of him hearing our cries are seen in this meal. They're seen in the reality of the bread that represents his body that was given for us on the cross. It's seen in the, in the representation of the fruit of the vine that is representative of his blood that was poured out for us, that was shed for us, that we might enter into a new covenant relationship with, with the living God. And, and this Hallel Psalm just points to that beauty and that glory and so I, I, can, I can imagine, I can envision the, the disciples sitting around that table with Jesus and seeing this and reciting this and reading this and saying, that's how good our God is. Not knowing that God was in just a few hours going to demonstrate the reality of what he was going to do by sending Jesus to the cross. Pretty amazing. So how do we respond? Well, the psalmist kind of puts that in verses 12 through 19. He says, and what shall I render or what shall I give to the Lord? What shall I show the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation. That, That doesn't mean I save myself by lifting up this cup. 
but he said, I recognize the cup of salvation. You almost got to see the cup at that Lord's table that night being lifted up and blessed and passed among them. But I will lift up the cup of his salvation. I will lift up, lift up the cup of salvation and I will call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. There's that congregational involvement there. It's not just me and Jesus alone. It's not just, hey, I'm just going to have my own little private world of Christianity right here. But it's, I will do these, I will pay my vows, I will render to the Lord for all his benefits of me, and I'll do this, I will pay my vows to the Lord, all of this in the presence of all his people, among the people of God. That's why the congregation is so important. There's no such thing as, as I said before, Lone Ranger Christianity. You say, well, I don't, I don't really like all those people. You know, they kind of get on my nerves somewhat. You're not going to like heaven. Because that's who you're going to be with. I mean, we talk about Jesus being there, and that's the real glory of heaven. That's really what we're looking for. It's not just the streets of gold and the milk and honey and whatever else you, you see in the imagery. But we're talking about worshiping Christ together, being together in the presence of Christ. He's the key to heaven, but we'll all be gathered around worshiping. If you don't like, you don't like God's people here, well, either you're not going to be there, or God's going to have to change your attitude quite a bit, or you'll be miserable. There's no miserableness in heaven. I'm going to, I'm going to do this in the presence of all His people. That's why the, that's why there's the importance of corporate worship, folks. We don't just do this because we don't have anything else to do on Sunday morning. We don't do this just because, hey, we got some musicians who will play some music, we can sing some songs, and, and, and we can listen to a sermon for a little while, and then we can go out and be gone. No, we do this because this is, this is corporate. This is congregational worship. This is gathering. Yeah, you ought to be worshiping in your closet. You ought to be having private uh, Bible reading and prayer time on your own. You ought, to be, you ought to be in the Word every single day, and there ought to be worship involved in that. And you might even do it driving down the road, listen to your favorite Christian radio uh, station or, or with an iPad or iPhone or something plugged in, and you're listening to your playlist of Christian music. I've got a playlist that I call my personal worship, and many times I just plug that in and I drive down the road especially if I'm going a long distance and I just sing to my heart's content. I worship the Lord while driving the car but that's not sufficient. I need you. And we need one another. And the Lord gathered those disciples around that table that night. I, I think at least to an extent he was saying I want you to understand this is not just you and me. This is us. To gather around the table. And so I'll do it in the presence of all his people. Verse 16 says, O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. You have set me free. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. He repeats that again. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. 
And we sang just a little bit ago, Man of Sorrows. Love that song. But I love that verse that says, Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, whom the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. That's what this psalm is saying. That's what this meal is saying. That's what we're rejoicing in, glorying in, when we come together in corporate worship. There's an interesting statement in verse 11. He said, I believed even when I spoke, I'm greatly afflicted. And then he said, and said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. He must have known some politicians. All mankind are liars. What in the world is he saying there? I think what he's saying is I want my counsel to come from the Lord. The Lord is truth. The Lord's word is truth. And so any counsel I get, I don't want it just the, the, the man talking to me and telling me what I ought to do and telling me how I want to go. I want, if man talks to me, I want him to talk to me in accordance with his word, God's word. Because in and of ourselves, we're all liars. If we depend on our own wisdom there is none depending on our own wisdom we will lead people astray we will do foolish things but when you recognize and believe what god has said even when greatly afflicted we respond to his work in a glorious and a truthful way you know, we come to this table, really, to proclaim good news. Everybody loves good news. I'd like to hear good news. And, and sometimes we get so convoluted in thinking about the gospel as good news that we forget there is a bad news side of the gospel. You, you do know that, don't you? You do know that, even as I prayed earlier, there is a... There's a side of the gospel that is wrathful. There's, there's a side of the gospel that says, you know, we have sinned against the holy God. That's bad news, folks. And, and I'm, I'm so afraid that sometimes in our trying to share the gospel with people, we want to stay so upbeat and we want to stay so positive and we want to stay on the, on the up, upswing that we say, you know, you know, stuff like God loves you, man, and has a wonderful plan for your life. Just believe in that and everything will be all right. And they say, well, I'm living the plan, man. I like it like it is. I'm glad God loves me. When in reality, there has to be the reality of knowing that man has a problem. The Bible calls the problem sin. And, you know, unless we work to share that when, when we sin and disobey God, that brings upon us the wrath of God that can only be taken away by the sacrifice that this supper, that this meal represents. We have not presented the truth. 
Scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, we looked at that months ago. There's even more bad news in Romans 6 that we looked at just a couple of weeks ago. You know, since we've all sinned, we not only deserve, but we will get punishment for that sin. 6.23 says the wage of sin is death. Not only do our physical bodies die, but we receive a, there's a spiritual death that, that, that Hebrews says in Hebrews 9.27 that we are destined to die once and then the judgment. This judgment will be this, this lack of God's grace and God's love for all of eternity. Only the wrath. Now, when somebody understands that, that that's bad news for me, then they're ready to know and appreciate the good news. And the good news is simply this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever, whoever believes in him will have eternal life, will not perish. You know, the, the good news is that, that God has done something. The psalmist says, he's heard my voice. And he's heard my pleas for mercy. And he's granted mercy and grace and forgiveness and, and cleansing and righteousness and glorious graciousness. John 3.18 says, Those who believe in the Son are not judged, but those who do not believe have been judged already because they've not believed in God's only Son. The one who came as a substitute. The one who came as the Lamb of God. The one who came as a sacrifice. The one who came that we might know Him. Psalm 116 points beautifully to what God has done and what our response must be. And, and our response comes out of regeneration. Our response comes out of being given life by God's Holy Spirit and God showing us the work of Christ on the cross. And our response is to what this meal pictures. I can stand here all day and talk to you about this table. But the real key is to observe it. The real key is to know it. The real key is to see this as an acted out illustration of what took place on the cross. Pray with me, would you? we pray and the men come who are going to serve these elements to prepare for that. I ask you to pray where you are. Lord, show me what I'm trying to hide from you can't hide it from him show me Lord what I'm trying to hide from you 
Ask Him to cleanse you as you confess before Him who He is and what He has done. These elements are passed. I invite you, if you know Christ, to share with us in this meal. If you don't know Christ, I ask you to let it pass by. But think about what the elements mean. The given body of Christ, the shed blood of Christ. We may be forgiven and restored in relationship to the living God. You continue to pray as we prepare this, these elements. Mm -hmm.